0: Hello, everyone. My name is Lauren. And I'm Cooper. And we're the Thrive Initiative. We host meaningful discussions with professionals in the fields of mental health and
1: neuroscience. We hope to spark conversations surrounding mental health, provide teenagers with resources and self-care tools, and inspire a generation of mental health advocates. Welcome to our podcast. Just a quick reminder that the information included in this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional care. If you feel that you need more assistance or support, please check out the thriveinitiative.org for resources and referrals.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode five of the Thrive Podcast. We are really excited to have you here and to have this very special conversation today. It is going to be a fun one. So thank you all for joining and let's get into it. Today, our guest is someone that you all know by now, but hopefully today you learn a little bit more about her and a different side of her. She's not going to be the one interviewing today. I'm actually going to be interviewing her. We have our very own Cooper Klein with us today. Cooper is a B-body positive facilitator and the youngest certified intuitive eating lay facilitator as well. And she is also a high school student. We are so happy to, I am so happy to be talking with her today about all things body image, body positivity, eating disorders, body dysmorphia, etc. So let's get into it. Thank you for doing this, Cooper. I'm really excited to be interviewing you and hearing about your work. I'm
1: so excited. Um, I think we're going to have a really interesting discussion today, and I can't wait to just dive into it. Yes, me too. Um, This is
0: something that I'm really excited about as well. You're so knowledgeable about it. So I'm excited to learn a lot. Um, And I think the questions that I have are seriously, I think a lot of our listeners will be able to relate to them, but I'm just so curious about all of these things as well. So I'm excited to hear more. So jumping right into things, what experiences led you to find the intuitive eating community, and how have you been involved in the
1: community since your discovery of it? So, I'd say my journey with all things mental health really started in December of 2018 when my family and I went through a traumatic event, and for me, this was kind of my first time experiencing mental health issues, um, trauma, and this sense of loss of innocence and um, I felt very out of control because we were we were part of a violent attack, and you know it just kind of changed how I saw the world like i was a I was relatively young when this happened, so it kind of shifted my perspective of you know the world and i just I felt very out of control and I didn't feel like myself after this and so what happened is this happened over winter break so I came back to school, and I just felt very out of place in my environment. Um, At school, I just felt, you know, I felt different. I had changed as a person because of that experience, and, you know, I felt uncomfortable at school, and being around my friends didn't feel the same, and then coming home wasn't any different because my whole family was really trying to get through this challenging time, and we all have different coping mechanisms, but... You know, it can lead to some clashes at times. So kind of tying it back to intuitive eating and how I found that is all of these really challenging emotions came to a head during this time and I felt alienated from my school community, alienated from my friends, alienated from my family, and just generally out of control. And I kind of channeled this need and desire for control into food um, and really micromanaging what I was eating. And, you know, I don't really go into details about certain behaviors just because I know that can be triggering for some people, but I was very restrictive with food and food groups. And, um, you know, I was trying to cope with a really difficult time in my life, but this just made me even more sad and numb and lost. And I was just continually under eating and over-exercising but it kept me numb and it just allowed me to kind of forget about my trauma and kind of dissociate. Um, But my health really started to take a dip. Um, I lost my period, my digestive system kind of just went haywire and I was dizzy all the time, lost my energy, and I was just miserable. And I don't know how I found it, but in June of 2019, I was so lucky I was on Instagram, um, going through stories, and I saw a book called The Effort Diet. I won't say the word, you know, podcast, by <laughs> Caroline Dooner. And you know, I don't know if this was on purpose, but the title just really caught my eye. I was like, "What is that?" Um, and I read it, and it was a book about intuitive eating, and it just spoke to me and all the problems I was really feeling around food, like the guilt, the stress, and the preoccupation, and It just made me feel like there's a way out and there are people who understand what I'm dealing with right now. And from the effort Diet, I found the book Intuitive Eating by Elise Resch and Evelyn Triboli. And then, you know, I was hooked. I was like, okay, this is where I want to be. And at the time, you know, I was still really entrenched in my disordered eating. And it took, you know, a month or two for me to be like, I'm ready to take this step and ask for help. And I did. Um, Which was, you know, it's scary to ask for help, but it was a great decision. I started working with an intuitive eating registered dietitian and I healed. Um, I stopped restricting. I got my period back. I got my energy back. And I kind of just learned to trust myself and be confident in my decisions. This new sense of like autonomy and making my own decisions about what I want to eat, when I want to eat it. And this body confidence I found really spread all throughout my life. I became confident in myself in my decisions um, in my academic work. And, you know, one of the best things that happened when going through this process was the fact that I really got to replace my time that I spent obsessing over food and exercise with hobbies and friendships and living my life. And it's been such a gratifying and amazing experience. That was so
0: insightful um profound amazing um i mean i've heard your story before but i think every time i hear it it's it's amazing to hear i i guess how self-aware you are and you were during this time and so i wanted to move into my next question um which is kind of shifting gears a little bit but i wanted to highlight you, um, because you are a teenager and you offer a really unique perspective in this field, I know that you're the youngest certified intuitive eating life facilitator. I was wondering what, in what ways you have seen the toxic culture surrounding body image and body comparisons in everyday teenage life, whether this be in schools, social gatherings on different social media platforms, portrayed in television and movies, whatever it may be.
1: Yeah, Um, I think there's a lot that teenagers face in terms of diet culture, I'll start with kind of, I think the most prevalent one is social media. Um, It's a big part of teenagers' lives. And I think it's important right now, obviously, for connection. But I think it's also important to note that with social media, it's easier now more than ever to compare and critique your bodies. And with that, I think you kind of end up in this place where social media is this constant reminder that you're not good enough. And that your body is not enough and that you need to change yourself. And I think that is just a really difficult challenge teenagers face, just this constant stream of images on social media. I even now after going through intuitive eating and that whole process with finding, you know, confidence in my body, I do find it hard sometimes and, you know, scrolling through social media, I'm like, oh, that makes me feel crappy about myself. Um, And, it has been proven that social media is linked to lowered self esteem. And kind of another thing I wanted to touch on, which is a little more nuanced, is this comment culture we have where you will be on someone's post and the comments are just filled with gorgeous, tiny, skinny, so thin. And, you know, those comments can be really hard because when you're seeing them on someone else's post, you're like, oh, am I good enough? Am I thin enough? Would I get these comments? And then when you're posting photos of yourself, you're kind of like hoping for those comments. And I think that's tough that we've really placed this value on thinness and beauty. And we have this platform where we can seek validation in that way. And I will say what I find often happens is instead of questioning this culture Um, and these pressures for beauty and thinness and perfection, you're driven to think that you have to lose weight and you have to change yourself. Um, And I think it's really important to remember you are perfect the way you are. I say it and it's true. Um, Social media, I think it's really easy to get caught up in it. But just remember, you are great the way you are.
0: I also wanted to say that
1: you never know what
0: someone's going through. Someone who you could look at as extremely thin and skinny and someone who you idealize and say, that's what I want to look like, they are most likely struggling with their own things. Everyone is going through something at any given moment. And I think, you know, it's a, it's just such a hard thing to achieve, but I think, you know, focusing on self-compassion and just acceptance of your body and who you are just as a person because it's more about you know who we are as a person in the long run really important because let's face it we're always going to want more just with anything and you're always going to want to look a certain way um and even if you if you say one day okay i want to lose 10 pounds and you work so hard to lose 10 pounds once you lose those 10 pounds you're going to want to lose another 10 more
1: that is how the diet industry Remains and lives is having you always wanting more. It is never enough Um, The diet industry is worth 70 billion dollars They rely on you needing more and having it never be enough and also diets have a 95% failure rate which means 95% of people who are going on diets are going to gain all the weight back and then some so that's how the diet industry also stays afloat diets don't work but they keep making you think it's your fault and that you have complete control of your body. We you know, we don't have all the control. A lot of these things are determined by genetics and biology. And I'm just you know, I'm glad I found intuitive eating because I don't want to spend my life fighting that fight, um, never being satisfied with my body. And it's been really liberating to just take the value away from my body and focus on the things that I'm passionate about, like the Thrive Initiative and my schoolwork and my friends. And that's just been amazing for me. Focusing again on social media specifically, how can
0: one stray away from body comparisons? And how can teenagers keep social media? Because like you mentioned before, it can be a form of connection, especially during this time. Um, and you know, there are, it's not only a harmful thing. Um, there are some benefits that come out of it, but how can teenagers keep social media without it being too harmful, um, to themselves, their mental health, the way they perceive themselves and their bodies? I think this is an
1: awesome question, by the way. Um, first I'd like to say it's completely normal to compare your body and I am in no way going to tell you. It's possible to just like get rid of the comparisons and, you know, never compare yourself. Like that's not a realistic goal. Um, And as a teenager, yeah, we all do it. Um, And as a teenager, um, going through the, you know, healing process, social media was something I did have to figure out. So I'll kind of speak to that. I think it's hard. It's really difficult because social media is such a vital part of our um, socializing with our peers, especially right now when we aren't getting those face-to-face interactions. But it also has that negative, comparative aspect. So for me, actionable item because I love these is you know when I'm scrolling through my feed, I still do this. If there's an account that seems to be posting, you know, a lot of bikini photos and very focused on their bodies. And it's just making you feel uncomfortable. You're mindfully aware of like, oh, I seem to be comparing myself to this person. Um, Unfollow them. You know, I followed Victoria's Secret Models on Instagram and I had to unfollow them. I had to really think to myself, like, why am I following them? I'd say with social media um, and kind of working on making it a more healthy balance and relationship especially regarding body image is i had to kind of go through my feed and as i'm you know scrolling through seeing different accounts i have to think what is this account adding to my life is it someone i know and i want to keep up with what you know they're doing in their life is it you know like a recipe account and they have fun recipes i like to look at or is it like a cute dog something like that and if i can't seem to figure out what space they're filling on my feed I unfollow or I mute, kind of like the Victoria's Secret models. Or even this is even a more awkward situation when it's like a friend or a peer who posts a lot of their body, and you find yourself comparing yourself to them. Um, It's it's hard because you you don't want to unfollow you know a peer and you know cause drama. But I do love the mute feature on Instagram. That is very helpful if you find that you have a classmate or a friend who posts a lot of their body and it's just making your self-esteem take a hit. It's okay to mute them. Um, it doesn't mean you're unfollowing them. It's just their stuff won't show up on your feed. And I found that that is so liberating to kind of curate your feed and really be conscious of what do I want to be seeing when I go on Instagram? What do I want to be seeing when I go on TikTok? Um, and I've had a much more positive experience with social media in that way. And I think that helps to kind of stop the comparisons is when you kind of feel yourself comparing, pause and assess whether or not this is someone you should keep following. I think
0: um, you bring
1: up an important point and with everything that we really talk about,
0: it's really about listening to you and your instincts and, you know, assessing these things, asking yourself question uh, questions about whether something that you're doing is actually how it's contributing to your mental health. And muting a friend does not mean that you don't have to be friends with them anymore. It doesn't mean that you have to end the friendship by any means. It's just, frankly, it's just a suggestion, but it can be something that, you know, can help you. And that's the most important thing, addressing your needs, especially when it comes to mental health. Um, That can seem selfish, but it's not. Your well-being should be prioritized by you. Um, and you should not have to suffer by seeing photos that are that don't make you feel good. That's you know, it, that can be a simple fix. Um and if it's something that
1: really helps, you should by all means And you you deserve to set those boundaries. Um mm-hmm. prioritize your well being and muting someone, they won't even know. <laughs> um and you can unmute them the next day if you feel like exactly Mm -hmm. like i felt bad about it at first but then i was noticing on social media i was feeling so much lighter and better and i wasn't feeling awful about my body when i would you know log off i just felt like i was seeing what i wanted to see on social media
0: um one thing that we actually didn't talk about but we've talked about before especially when we've had conversations about you know social media intake and forming a healthy relationship with social media and media in general um, I think where control does come in um, with social media is, you know, we talked about this a little bit, but you can decide who you follow and you don't. And we talked about who you don't follow necessarily or knowing who you don't want to follow, but we don't necessarily talk about who you do want to follow. And I think we have talked about this before about diversifying your feeds. There are plenty of accounts that spread incredibly positive messages
1: I was just gonna say because I have shared about, you know, accounts to mute and unfollow. I thought I'd just recommend some accounts. I'm pulling up my phone right now. Um, one account I love on Instagram is it's called The Depression Chronicles, and it doesn't just have to do with depression, but it has you know great content about you know tips for managing sadness and a self-care checklist, and I just love whenever they pop up on my feed. The other day I had, you know, self-care checklist pop up, like it reminded me, you know, drink water, make your bed, um, take your meds if you need to take meds, um, and I thought that was great. I also love for kind of intuitive eating in general, her name's Kathleen Meehan, we had her on a panel, um, her Instagram is the RD Nutritionist. she is amazing, she posts hilarious stuff, um, but she really helped me through um, my recovery. I will say what I really like that we're talking about now is social media can be a force of positivity in your life. As much as you know, we talk about it's all negative. Like, I have really found that social media has given me a community and helped me feel very validated. On TikTok, I love Victoria Garrick, Sienna May. I know everyone loves Sienna May Gomez, I think she's great. Um, I was so happy. I remember when she first started coming up on my For You page and I was like, this is amazing. And then one last one is, hello, my name is Wednesday um, on TikTok. They are an artist and illustrator and they make these great rainbow graphics about mental health and mindfulness and they make mental health checkpoints. And they always make me very happy when they come up on my For You page and I definitely recommend following them.
0: Next question. I know we both wanted to discuss what I eat in a day videos on YouTube and the role they play in influencing people's eating habits and regimens. Could you please speak on this from your perspective and why these videos can be harmful in your view? Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So I think there are a couple things going on with these what I eat in a day videos. When I was really kind of in the depths of my disordered eating, I would find myself Watching these videos, not trying to be entertained, but from a place of like, I must see what they're eating. I must follow exactly what they're doing. You know, you watch them and you feel the sense of obligation to do exactly what they're doing. And I think what's important to remember, kind of how I was talking about with social media, is think about what these videos are doing for you and contributing to your life. If you're watching them for entertainment and you think they're fun to watch and they give you you know, new ideas of different meals you can eat, that's great. But if it's feeling like you are intensely trying to follow exactly what they're doing to get their exact body shape, that's where I think it gets a little tricky. Um, And the quote I was referring to earlier is, we could all eat the same foods, exercise the same way, and we would all end up with vastly different body shapes. Um, It's not all in our control, which can be super hard to confront. Um, and that's definitely something I had to deal with going through the intuitive eating process was kind of surrendering a little bit, surrendering control. And just another note on these, what I, what I eat in a day videos, um, it's just
0: important to eat the foods that nourish you and provide you with energy and fill you up, you know, with fuel and things like that. I think you would agree
1: on that front. Um, I'd say just take those videos with a grain of salt And, you know, what they're doing is not exactly what you have to be doing. You can do your own thing. Whatever works for you is the best. What steps
0: can they take to address this? So not necessarily just in regards to how they,
1: you know, engage in social media, but just in their day-to-day lives. So I think I've spoken quite a bit on the social media, so I'll try and take this question in a different direction. So... The one thing I'd say is if you're starting to feel like your relationship with food and your body are just kind of going in a direction that isn't feeling very comfortable to you, first, I'd say obviously communicate with someone if that's something that you feel comfortable with. I think sometimes when we struggle alone, these problems take on a life of their own um, because they feel so secretive. So I think reaching out and telling someone, hey, this is how I'm feeling, whether that's A friend, a guidance counselor, a parent, um, a trusted adult. But also, I would say um, if you're interested, educate yourself about intuitive eating because I think that can be really helpful. I'm so glad I found the framework. It's very easy to learn about, it's broken up into 10 principles um, all about, you know, respecting your hunger, respecting your body finding a healthy relationship with exercise. And there are so many great um, social media accounts that you can follow. I love having my intuitive eating community pop up on my feed. It's great. Um, And I think it can be hard to become an intuitive eater. I won't say it was like an overnight process. I'm still learning every day how to eat intuitively. And I just say um, it's totally normal to struggle with these things especially in our society and with the values that, you know, social media and all media in general imparts about female bodies or just all bodies in general. Um, But I'd say, you know, reach out, educate yourself on intuitive eating and remember that your experience is valid and it is okay.
0: I, my next question is how can teenagers learn to love their bodies and kind of exhibit self-compassion and on the flip side, and I know that's a hard one. So, but on the flip side, um, how can we stop judging others, other people's bodies and commenting on
1: their weights? Yes. Um, so body appreciation, body respect, body positivity, um, you know, I'm not going to say it's easy to cultivate. Um, You know, I still cultivate it on a day-to-day basis. So first, breaking it down, body appreciation is possessing a favorable opinion on your body despite what you perceive as imperfections. And I'd say the first step to kind of building a positive body image is taking care of your body, feeding it adequately, moving your body, staying hydrated, getting getting sufficient sleep. Um, then protecting yourself by rejecting unrealistic social media body ideals, kind of setting those boundaries as we talked about earlier. And then this is kind of the point I want to like highlight, you know, bold it, underline it, you know. Um, Poor body image is not cured by weight loss. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's not. Um, And Lauren talked about this earlier. You think, you know, oh, when I lose these X amount of pounds, I'm going to be so much happier with my body. And then you get there and it's like more, I need to lose more. And it's never enough. Poor body image is not cured by weight loss. Um, and I remember the first time I read that quote was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. Like, I like should have known that a couple of years ago. Um, I think that's a big takeaway is- I'll say it again for the third time, poor body image, not cured by weight loss. Um, And then, okay, we were also talking about not judging other people's bodies. Um, One thing I've gotten into the habit of is something, this is something I worked on in recovery for kind of working on my own positive self-talk. But, you know, when you see people, like even just like strangers walking on the street, you know, try and like compliment them. Even if it's just internally, if you're not going to say it out loud, like, oh, they have really pretty eyes or, oh, I don't even know. Like it doesn't even have to be about their looks, but just, you know, rather than jumping to the negatives as we tend to do, like try and see the beauty in things. um, It's just, you know, makes life a lot happier. It makes it easier to appreciate your own body. Um, And, you know, sometimes I just got to look at myself in the mirror, give myself compliments. And then this this is kind of like my infamous very unique self-care practice is i put on my headphones i'll play some music um you know whatever whatever you want works and i just dance around and feel happy in my body um just you know moving and dancing and being joyful it it makes me feel more grounded and happy and appreciative of my body
0: that's great and i also wanted to say on the note of self-compassion and self-appreciation Like you were saying, it's not something that you
1: like get and maintain. Yeah, there's not an end point to these things. They're they're never over.
0: With anything, we have good days and bad days, you know? And I think some days you're going to feel great about yourself and just be overall just happy and feeling good. And, you know, other days you may look yourself in the mirror and really fixate on those imperfections. And I think just touching on this quickly, I've grown up – with a mother who has always 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 told me that there is no such thing as perfection nothing in life is perfect starting by doing that and realizing that there is no such thing as perfect no matter how great something is um can
1: really be can really be helpful and one thing i will talk about is reframing your insecurities that was something you know i learned how to do because, as you said, there are good days and there are bad days, and you know you don't just reach body positivity, end game, you know, roll the credits, it's over. like it ebbs and it flows. and you know, kind of an insecurity I've held with me. Um, I'll talk about one is my thighs. I've always had kind of more muscular thighs, and you know, my relationship with my thighs has just you know really grown over the years, and now. I think about all the things that they do for me, rather than criticize them. Like my thighs allow me to run fast, and they allow me to do Pilates, which I love. And just finding ways to reframe your perceived imperfections—what you see as imperfect—like um, reframe them. And I think you know, seeing your body and its functions, I think, are also very important, like functional purposes, like when I see, you know, oh, I've got a little, you know, fat on my belly and I want to criticize that. I'm like, oh wait, I didn't have my period for two years. Like that body fat is keeping me healthy and giving me my period and keeping me warm and just finding ways to reframe those things in a positive light.
0: Yeah. I mean, just looking at things from a science perspective, I, I don't like to do this too often, but yes, we're not skin <laughs> and bones. We're mammals. Like we, we have to have some sort of fat to us it's our biology it's our makeup that's how we survive and thrive which of course we're we're big on
1: <laughs> we are big on thriving here um i will talk about that um, i am what you would call a science and math nerd and for me going through the recovery process um, my rd you know she knew that I have like a biology, chemistry, like a biochemistry brain. And that really helped me through my recovery was, you know, hearing this is something I love talking about. You need carbs. And she broke it down biologically, we need carbs to survive. Our preferred source of energy is carbohydrates. Carbohydrates break the blood brain barrier and give our brain proper fuel. And hearing all this science. Really was like a driving force in my recovery as a science and math I say nerd, not with a negative connotation, by the way, very proud of my identity as a science math nerd. Um, but you know, science and math really got me through my recovery, which was really awesome. So yeah, sometimes you just have to break it down to the biology and think, this body fat. Is helping me survive. It's giving me my period. These muscles on my legs—they're keeping me strong. They're doing stuff. It's all good. <laughs> yeah. So now shifting gears again, um,
0: moving on to focusing on the pandemic. How has this time influenced you and your view of your body? And what struggles have you experienced during the pandemic during these eight months? Um,
1: and in what ways have you coped? I think, I I don't know if this is a misconception people have about us because we have this podcast and this website where we talk about mental health and self-care that, you know, we are all good and thriving at all times. Um, For me, you know, it has been ups and downs and, you know, it hasn't been all easy during this time.
0: Girl, I cried myself to sleep last night, so (laughs) we are not, but... Throughout yeah. All times, this is such a hard time for everyone, mm-hmm.
1: and you know, and we have good days and bad. I was listening to a song by Phineas actually, and that you know that broke me last night. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I I want to get that out there that you know, even the people you think are you know the happiest, you know, everyone is going through stuff, especially right now. And for me, I guess I've in the past um as i kind of briefly touched on struggled with depression and disordered eating and i kind of felt like i was in a pretty good place um when the pandemic hit and you know it really tested me it brought me back down and you know at first it was frustrating but you know these circumstances are really challenging and they bring a lot of difficult emotions and kind of you know throw us into a difficult position and um you know, it was definitely a little scary at first in the beginning of the pandemic. March was really weird. Just kind of, you know, going from a place where I felt like I'd really worked through, um, i have really worked through my disordered eating and, you know, depression and then having it all kind of like come back. I was like, whoa, that's unexpected. But, um, you know, I just had to really, you know, ground myself, remember my self care, reach out for help, talk to people, and um, yeah, just know you are not alone during this time.
0: I wanted to touch on a couple of different, different things in, in terms of overeating, um, undereating during the pandemic. Um, so could you speak a little bit about emotional eating and boredom eating? And then also that you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but not during the pandemic, the need to exercise constantly. I think a lot of people have had more time to exercise during the pandemic, which is a great thing, but obviously over-exercise is is not a great thing. And just as everything in life, there needs to be some sort of balance. Um, And also, at least in my experience, I've kind of become just sick of food in general sometimes. I don't feel like eating at all, but I'm hungry, and it becomes such a task for me um not something that I look forward to um or enjoy by any means and this is not obviously every meal but I I do have some days where I'm just like nothing sounds good to me I'm sick of everything I've had it so much so yeah could you just speak on those different things I don't know if you've been uh, experiencing any of those things but yeah
1: yeah I got it and I think those are such um Such common experiences, um, and I think we all kind of deal with emotional eating to some um, extent. Anxiety, loneliness, loneliness, boredom, and anger, these are all emotions we experience, and especially during the pandemic, and I think a lot of times um, these emotions that we're feeling kind of manifest in our relationship with food, and sometimes people eat more to cope, to comfort you in the short term to distract from pain or numb you and kind of for that situation first of all that is completely normal and from an intuitive eating perspective you know we'd want you to come from that from a place without guilt come from a place of curiosity of what caused me like what emotions led me to feel like i need to overeat and what are coping mechanisms that will you know help me more in the long term because food can comfort us But it's a short-term comfort, and sometimes you need to find, you know, better coping mechanisms, Um, whether that be talking to someone, writing out your feelings, resting, self-care, taking a walk. Um, And then on the flip side, um, there are people who, when faced with these challenging emotions, kind of lose their appetite and under-eat. And to that situation, I'd say you have to kind of intuitive eating – We talk about, you know, you hear a lot about eating satisfying foods and, you know, discovering the satisfaction factor. And what I had to learn is not every meal I'm going to, you know, be dying to eat and, you know, be perfectly craving. And sometimes I have to remember, like, biologically, I just need food to get through the day. And I do, I have the same experience you're describing of like, nothing sounds good. So it's good to just have a couple, you know, go to meals that, you know, you can just kind of whip out when nothing sounds good but you just need to fuel yourself. For me, sometimes I'll have, you know, some yogurt and some Cheerios and some scrambled eggs and, you know, it's pretty basic and I kind of always have those things in my pantry or my kitchen. And, you know, when I'm just not in the mood to eat or I'm not craving anything, but I know I need fuel to get through today, I have that go-to, which is really nice. And kind of talking more about emotional eating, um, I think there's often a stigma around it and a shame around it. It's completely normal, it's completely okay. And here are some questions I think can really help people through emotional eating if you feel like you tend to, going back to the overeating category, um, is first, before you emotionally eat, ask yourself, am I biologically hungry? And if you're biologically hungry, by all means, go ahead, eat, fuel yourself. If no, continue on with these questions. The next is, what am I feeling? So write out your feelings, call a friend, talk to someone. Really take a second to, you know, be mindful. This doesn't even have to do with emotionally eating, just all the time when we're dealing with difficult emotions. Like take a second to really be mindful and kind of think about like, what am I feeling right now? And then I think the most important question is what do I need? And think about the things that, you know, will satisfy you and fulfill you and help you through, whether that be, you know, resting, taking a nap, uh, doing a yoga class on YouTube, taking a walk. Um, I think self-care is very important. And, you know, emotional eating at times can happen. And as long as, you know, you are staying present in the moment, because comfort food is a thing. Like sometimes, you know, you want comfort food and that's okay. Um, intuitive eating would definitely not say like you can't eat that. Um, I think the important thing would, to be, would be to be present Really enjoy the food. Let it comfort you. Don't just you know eat it mindlessly. Obviously, don't feel guilty about it. But then also think about different coping mechanisms and the fact that food may only be, you know, a temporary, um, soothing, like soothing coping coping mechanism for the time being. And then to your point about exercise, I think that is something um, that's especially important right now because we have all this time. People seem to be, you know, feeling the pressure to work out more. And one thing, you know, um, I learned and I kind of live by is that rest is just as important as movement. Um, movement is great, and you know, makes us happy and gives us endorphins, and you know, has a lot of great benefits. But at the same time, we also need to rest our bodies for injury prevention. Um, and you know, rest is very important. Um, And I mean, I know sometimes for me, I find that exercise can be really a de-stressor and I want to do it every day because, you know, it is so grounding for me. But I also know that it's not in the best interest of my body to be working out every day and to be exhausting my muscles. I need to take a break. Um, And I would really encourage people to, you know, not feel guilt in taking breaks. Um, It's completely okay. And it's in the best interest of your health and your body's, um, functioning. So yeah, that's what I'd say. Um, I
0: think, (laughs) I think during this time, you know, movement's really important. Um, but I also think that looks different for different people and it looks different depending on the day.
1: Yeah. In intuitive eating, um, a very important concept is joyful movement. And, what that means is using exercise as a self-care tool, as a tool to you, know, move your body, get your endorphins pumping and get your blood flowing. And I think it's very important to approach movement from a place of this makes me happy, this feels good for my body, not from a place of I have to, you know, work out so my body can look a certain way and you know, I need to break a sweat and go for an hour. Like movement can really be what you want it to be. Sometimes it may be, like a 10-minute stretching class. And if that's what suits your body on that day, that is great. That is enough. If it means, you know, you want to take a run, go for it. That's great as well. You want to do Pilates, great. Um, But I think really putting the emphasis on, like, what feels good in your body, what empowers you, um, rather than, you know, what's going to, you know, make me look a certain way. And I think especially during the pandemic, with all these emotional challenges, if we can use movement as a tool to find um, happiness and, you know, just a moment of like, you know, I don't know, mindfulness and joy. For me, sometimes it means, you know, I love Pilates class, but sometimes, you know, I just want to put on three songs, dance for, you know, 10 minutes and that's my movement for the day. Um, And I think we oftentimes have this kind of harsh expectation of what movement has to be movement could be whatever you want it to be. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to be an hour. It doesn't even have to be 30 minutes, whatever you have time for movement should be kind of like how we talk about meditation. Movement is a tool for you, not something that, you know, should be causing you an immense amount of stress in your life. I think it can be a really great tool, a great self-care tool if you approach it. Um, from a place of you know wanting to feel good and feel embodied kind of as we approach the holiday season i do want to put out a little warning um that sounded dramatic but you know you'll start to see a lot of like shave off the holiday pounds and do this workout thanksgiving day like you don't need to work out to earn your food um that's not what working out is for um as a human being you need fuel you need food um working out doesn't make you any more or less deserving of food. And just as we go into the holiday seasons, I feel like that message really kind of like amps up. Um, Just know you deserve food. You do not need to work out for your food. Um, That'll be my last little tidbit on exercise, especially with the holiday seasons approaching.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think sometimes on days where I don't get the chance to work out or it is my rest day, I definitely will feel i i'll catch myself feeling a little more guilty or questioning why i ate something because i i maybe didn't earn it which is you know obviously there's um that's a normal thing to do but like you said you don't need to earn your food food fuels your body um okay so this is more of a general question but i wanted to you and i'm sure there's a lot of things that you could say but if you To choose one or just a few, what do you think your biggest takeaway or takeaways from all um,
1: that you've learned with intuitive eating are? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a a good question. I'll first say, I, I feel so lucky to have found intuitive eating. Intuitive eating really has changed my life, not just with food, but with who I am as a person. If, you know, if I could talk to Cooper from a year and a half ago, after her first meeting with the um, Intuitive Eating Registered Dietitian, I will say, after my first meeting, I was terrified. I was really scared of surrendering all that control and thought of, you know, kind of letting go of diet culture and breaking away from it felt like a really radical, crazy (laughs) statement to me. And if I could, you know, go back and, you know, give younger Cooper a little message I would definitely say like it will bring so like it's brought so much joy to my life and I think the biggest takeaway is I had no clue how much space food and exercise and dieting could take up in my brain and I am just so grateful I found it because I think I've really had the space to grow as a person and I've gotten to pursue my interests while it may seem scary to give up that control, it can be a really great thing and it can be a gift. And, you know, clearing the way for, it it cleared the way for all of this work that we've done together. And, you know, I'm just so grateful.
0: Well, I think you're amazing and inspiring. So, um, oh, I was going to say that I think it's actually, I think it's so cool because you talk about you know, mentors that you had and people that you connected with and still connect within the field and within the intuitive eating community. And it's amazing and inspiring, like I said before, to hear that you have taken that step to become the same and
1: um, be that mentor for someone else. I'm really lucky that I've had the resources available to me that I have had in the past. But I also know that there is a really big issue with accessibility to I guess, just mental health services in general. And that's really what's driven me to do the work that I do with the Thrive Initiative and Teen Line and being an intuitive eating lay facilitator is I just hope, you know, through all this work, I can help someone who may not have the same access that I've had.
0: And just, I want to echo what you said, speaking on behalf of the Thrive Initiative, I think both, both of us have discussed this so many times. We that's our biggest goal. That's the whole reason why we started this because there's such a need for mental health resources everywhere, and there shouldn't. It's such a critical issue. It's something that impacts all of us, especially teenagers. There shouldn't be no lack of information, education, resources, a space to um, to learn and to ask questions and to just express yourself. So I think, no, that's what we're hoping to create here. Um, and you kind of, the, just this is a good segue into my next question, because you're kind of talking about um, seeking help, and I'm wondering in what ways teenagers can um, seek out teenagers who are struggling with body dysmorphia, eating disorders, etc., um, especially when no one may be noticing what they're going through, and others, or others are kind of commenting on, like we were talking about before, how good they look or how much weight they've lost or something like that. And obviously they're being told that they look great and they should keep doing what they're doing or stay the way they are if they, when they know that maybe they don't feel great um, and they, they kind of want help. So what would you advise to those people?
1: Just, you know, first I'll start speaking on personal experience. When I was going through my disordered eating um, in that kind of phase of my life, I would constantly get compliments from people. And, you know, they were coming from well-intentioned places, but, you know, it it kind of messes with your brain. Like when you're getting that validation, even though they don't know what's going on internally and, you know, behind closed doors, I was like, I have to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, so just being mindful of, you know, What you're saying, because you never know what's happening. Um, And, you know, I really, really feel for the people who are struggling with this and feel like no one sees them because I can completely relate to that. It's hard and it can feel so helpless and so scary and so, you know, lonely to battle these things alone. And I will say, um, you know, finding a trusted adult. To share with really helps um you know parents aunts uncles coaches advisors there are endless options um and you know you can also call teen line i'll plug teen line they will talk to you they will give you support and i think just talking it out you know it kind of takes a weight off your shoulders because when you carry these things alone i think they can really take on a life of their own and You know, I found I shared a lot with my parents and it just made me feel like I would get through it because I had someone who was on my team who was looking out for me. And I think that's the great part about sharing with someone else is that you have someone who's going to look out for you and care for you and, you know, help you help you get through. And I think it's a lot easier when you have, you know, teammates to help you get through it. Right. Right.
0: And we talked about this with Beth last time in our last episode. Um, she was talking about how, you know, it looks different for everyone. It's not always your parents. It's not always the school guidance counselor. Um, it should really be someone that you're comfortable with if you are, you know, having that conversation. And I think I'm, I'm the biggest um, advocate for having a conversation. I think it's, there's no doubt that it's difficult. Maybe if you if you to, do something else before that. I know Cooper and I talk a lot about journaling and we haven't really talked about that on the podcast yet, although we will um, soon. I just wanted to say that I think a lot of the time writing something out on paper or wherever it may be and like a a sacred book or whatever, um, journal, diary, whatever it may be, I think that allows you to kind of get it off your chest without verbalizing it. And once you take that step, you can certainly have a conversation. You could, if you don't necessarily want to start that conversation, maybe you can have the person that you're going to read what you wrote if you are feeling comfortable doing that. I think like we've said with so many other things, there's not one right form of doing something. It's whatever
1: works best for you. I'll speak on both of those things first. I am a huge proponent of journaling. It's been a tool I've used since I was a freshman in high school. I'm actually about to finish my second journal, which is crazy that I've written that much. But it really helps, you know, get things off of your chest and kind of process things on paper. And it's also, you know, kind of from a different point of view, it's really really interesting to look back on because i've been journaling for such a long time i've really gotten to have this record of you know working through intuitive eating and everything that i've gone through and that's you know a really cool archive to have on a side note and then also i totally agree with what you're saying about you know face-to-face interactions being difficult and you know if you're more comfortable reaching out to a family member or trusted adult over text or over email, I'd say go for it if that's what makes you comfortable and you know gets you the support you need. I think that's totally fine. I do that sometimes too. I'll just text my parents if I just really don't you know feel like confronting them in person, face to face, because that can be intimidating. And I I say you know use that technology. Um, it is totally fine. It doesn't make you weaker or less than you are doing what works for you and there's no, you know, one right way to reach out for help.
0: Just what you were saying before about getting it out on paper can really help to get things off your chest. I think, especially during this time of isolation where we're al- we're, we're alone more often than we usually are, um, or most likely are alone more often than we usually are. I think we spend a lot of time in our head and, um, that can be extremely confusing and frustrating and challenging where you feel like you just don't have anyone to talk to or, you know, you talk to your family a lot and you just need some space for them. So I think journaling is a fabulous outlet to just get things out. I mean, it's like cleaning out an old drawer, I like to say.
1: Yes, yes, especially at the end of the day and night. You just kind of get to put it all on paper and then it, you just kind of sleep easier, you know, knowing that it's off your chest. <laughs> and I think your
0: mind can just be full of so many different thoughts and whatever it may be. And it's, it's just, it's nice to just get some of them out in some form or some shape. So yes, I'm a huge proponent of that as well. And I will say that, you know, just saying, speaking on the point that, conversations are sometimes difficult to have. Um, I completely understand that. There are some times where I really want to tell someone something, but I just, I can't put it into words. And I I don't know how to explain it. I think people can probably relate to that, but it's just difficult to tell them at that moment. And I think, you know, maybe come back again in five minutes, um, or journal and then go back or, you know, or use technology or, do something that works for you. Um, I would just say that. Um, yeah, I'd just say that.
1: In what ways can teenagers be body
0: positivity advocates and kind of diminish the role of dieting and body comparisons um, and all of these? Very toxic things um, that really seep their way into all of our lives and modern day culture. how can we actively provide resources, education, and support for those struggling with the way they perceive themselves and their bodies and kind of dismantle this
1: this perpetuated culture? Um, that's a really great question. No, I love it. Um, I think back to social media, I think that's a tool we can really use and You know, think about the comments you're making. Um, I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to comment certain things, but I think it can be very toxic to comment like thin, body, um, stuff like that. I think that kind of adds to this culture we have of, you know, idealizing bodies and um, objectification. So I think, you know, something I actively try to do now is comment on people's posts I like actively try to comment on people's posts, but not about their body to show people. Like you can comment you can interact and you can stay engaged with your friends without it having to be about their body. So like miss you, cute photo. Um, I know, I, I kind of sound like a mom, but like love you, like love your smile. Like it doesn't even need to be about their body. Just like love your smile or, you know, just, you know, a couple hearts. <laughs> I think that's a great way to be kind of a body image advocate is, you know, trying to shift the focus away from, um, your, your body as like, I I guess that kind of may seem backwards for body positivity, but I think part of body positivity is that we're not going to be fixated on each other's bodies. I think body positivity is really about, we are more than just our bodies. I'd say, you know, shift the conversation when you're with friends, talk about your passions, your interests. What shows you're watching, stuff like that. I feel like oftentimes we can really slip into talks about dieting and our bodies because, you know, I think it can feel natural to people. Um, oh, big one here. It's not as you know relevant right now given COVID, but in locker rooms, um, I feel like you'll be in a woman's locker room because that's the experience I've had. Is you know, girls looking in the mirror, you know, like squeezing their body and everyone around you is just making negative comments about their body. And I think, you know, small shifts of like making a commitment to not engaging in that, um, not, you know, talking badly about your body. And especially in a locker room um, at my school, the girls locker room ranges from grades seven to 12. And, you know, we learn by example. So when we see high school girls, you know, Squeezing their stomach or squeezing their arms and making, you know, nasty comments about themselves, I think, you know, we learn. And I think, you know, now I'm a junior in high school and although I'm not in the locker room, I know that I set an example for younger students. And I think just being conscious of, you know, how you talk to yourself and in public, especially in like locker room situations the example you're setting for others. And I think that is a way you can really advocate for body image and body positivity. I know this is something they do at USC is they don't, they make a commitment to not um, make negative comments about their bodies in the locker room, which I think is great. And I think that's a great, (laughs) I keep saying great. I think that's an important shift to have.
0: I completely agree. And I think knowing your boundaries and when to engage and when to not and when to kind of shift the conversation, such important skills in life about anything you know um you don't have to engage in something that you're not comfortable with or that you know doesn't make you feel good about yourself or anything like that um and i also wanted to say that oh um you know i think that negative self-talk is a super hard thing to kind of get over and it's not something like you know self compassion and self love um that you just completely get over but i think working on that and being mindful and acknowledging oh like that was that was a negative thought let's try to shift that and maybe the positive of the situation rather than fixating so obsessively on the negatives um you know we are supposed to be our biggest fans and self-promoters and you know hype ourselves up and I think that's not to say that every day you have to love yourself and everything about you because trust me that's that's not how it works and that's not necessarily realistic. Um but I think you know you should it's it's important to be mindful of what you're telling yourself. I
1: totally agree with you. And I think even just identifying as you just said, like identifying oh that was a negative thought. I think that's a huge step. Um, And just being conscious of like, I just had a negative thought about myself. That's just recognizing it is really important. And sometimes when I notice I've had a negative thought, something I like to do is kind of, you know, punch it in the face with a positive thought. Um, Like, oh, you want to say something negative? Here's something positive. Bam. Um, And just getting in the habit of like, you know, saying positive stuff about yourself, being your own hype woman or hype man or hype person, um, I think is really important.
0: So I know, and I don't think any parents listening to this would understand what we're talking about. I mean, for most of this, they probably wouldn't. But um, um, I think in our day and age, there's definitely a lot of emphasis on
1: being thick. Here's what I will counter with. It's not just thick; it's slim. Thick, so you have to, you know. It. I think it's highly unrealistic. You have to be perfectly skinny in some places, but other places you got to be thick. Just like pick and choose. Like, come on.
0: And do you want to know who determined that that's the way that us females should look? Men. Men. I
1: let me let me go on this for a second. Diet culture synonymous with the patriarchy everybody and you know i i this has probably been the most fascinating part of intuitive eating for me is really seeing how feminism and intuitive eating are really like they're they're one and the same they really go together and how diet culture is so rooted in the patriarchy and that men are like determining the rules and i think that's why it's been also so empowering as a female to be an intuitive eater like F the patriarchy. I'm going to be what I want to be. You don't get to tell me what's beautiful. I'm beautiful as I am. That's my little feminist moment. I'm going to close this off because we could talk for days about this. I'll try not to make them too sappy, but um, I will say it's this has been a really amazing conversation, a really um, full circle moment for me. Um, It's been almost two years since I had um, a very traumatic event happen, Um, and it's just really, really interesting to reflect and think about, you know, the person two years ago who had just, you know, come out of a very traumatic event, and, you know, the fear I had of what does this mean for me, how are things going to change going forward, and I mean, it makes me very happy today to be sitting here advocating for mental health and teenage mental health. And, you know, I will say to anybody out there who's struggling, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I know sometimes it really feels like there's no escaping um, what you're going through, but I promise you, I promise you, there are so many resources out there for you. Um, don't give up hope. And, you know, just kind of to close it off. Um, this has definitely been, I don't want to say like one of the highlights of my life, but, um, this is a really cool moment for me for sure. Um, just to go from such a dark period of my life to turning it into my superpower and turning it into a passion of mine. And I really hope, you know, this is helping someone out there. And I, I speak for both Lauren and I. We love what we're doing. This is really something we're passionate about. And, you know, I, I'm just so, so glad um, that we found each other. We found this work. And we're so grateful. So grateful. Such a privilege to do this. And
0: I wanted to say, first of all, that was beautiful. I have like tears forming in my eyes. Um, I wanted to say that I think it's absolutely incredible, and I'm sure people tell you this, but I just wanted to say it as well. I think it's incredible to see all that you've done in these last almost two years. Um, I mean, before that as well, but I think you've really, really grown, and it's been incredible to see. I know that you're gonna continue to do such amazing things with this work and other things, so I'm really excited to watch you just help people and help the world. but thank you so much for sharing um, everything, being so open and vulnerable, um, and just you know, I, I mean, like you said, this was such an incredible conversation. We could carry it on for days, but I hope you all enjoyed. Um, and also, one last thing, you know, reach out to us. We we'd love we'd love to talk. Um, we are your friends. So, um, okay,
1: Lauren, we're about to close off this episode, and I thought today. Usually I'm the one who, you know, with love, the thrive initiative it, but, um, I say today's the day we're going to try and sync it up. Okay. With With love, the thrive. thrive initiative.